Welcome to the Gallipod with me, Gala Placidia. In this episode, I'm reading the final chapter of The Bolt Hole, a new fic I wrote with Adiamai and Tepra. If you're not here for dreary fanfic, you're in the wrong place. I hope you enjoy The Bolt Hole. Chapter 6 The way Harry looked at him during sex felt like a promise, but Draco had thought that before and been wrong. It didn't help, probably, that Harry had had to save him only very recently, the blood and the floor. Draco's stomach heaved at the thought, but it passed after a moment. And then Harry had been worrying about hurting Draco himself, the sweet fool. It all added up quite nicely for Harry's hero complex, Draco imagined. Once they had found each other in Harry's bed, it became quite a challenge to move away. They returned to it again and again, lazy with lust. The sex, now that it had been established like an exclamation mark between them, went on for an exhaustive and undignified stretch of the day, meandered from serious to silly, to tired, to, occasionally, sweet and terrified. They slept. They woke up. They moved close, kissed half awake, fell back into sleep. At some point, somewhere near dawn, Harry had held Draco's face very tightly in his palms and pressed their foreheads together and matched their breaths. He was sitting up in the sheets, and Draco had been in his lap, his legs wrapped around Harry's hips. He had been instructed to move only very slowly, which he did, barely at all. He didn't think he could come again. He probably wouldn't. The moment went still. Draco had his eyes open, so close that Harry was just a blur of lashes, of dark lips. He held Draco like he was very precious and very dangerous all at once. The sun rose quietly behind the curtains, and birds of winter called out the hour. Draco had whispered to the cupid's bow of Harry's top lip, I don't think I can... Shh, Harry had said, and rolled his brow to Draco's. Just stay for a second. Okay, Draco had said and had stayed, and Harry had wrapped his arms around him and dragged his lips up his neck, and Draco, pulled taut and oversensitised, broke out in shivers that wouldn't subside. You feel so good, Draco breathed into the air, feeling stupid, feeling drunk, and Harry's hands were all over him, down the line of his spine, over his thighs, his throat. It was after they'd collapsed into the sheets again, sweat cooling, that Harry said, God, you could have died. Draco's stomach clenched and unclenched, and suddenly he couldn't help it. He laughed. (laughs) It was a good round, Harry, but let's not exaggerate, he said. Harry buried his face in Draco's stomach and laughed as well, long and low. Then he crawled up the bed and lay next to Draco. After a few minutes, Harry propped himself up on one elbow, leant in, and softly kissed Draco's eyelids. Then he lay back down with a sigh and fell asleep. Draco tried to join him and couldn't. He closed his eyes and found he didn't want them closed. He wanted to watch Harry, and so he did. It was strange that nothing hurt, really. Not the skin on his palms that felt as though it was flayed off. Not the deep, dragging rips through his forearms that had, Draco was fairly sure, ripped through tendon, wound around bone. He couldn't feel any of it. All he could feel, the only mark left on him, was Harry. It made it seem as though it hadn't happened. It could almost not have happened. For about half an hour he watched Harry, who looked peaceful and exhausted. It probably should have felt creepy, but it didn't. It felt important, as if he needed to store up Harry's face now, now that he had it. He wasn't sure if he'd fallen asleep at all, only he'd wade into half-awakeness every now and then, and the room would still be somewhat dark, the day not fully broken, and Harry's face close, and he thought he might have dreamt a replica of the moment, that his brain had spun the exact images lay before him, unwilling to let go even in sleep. Once he was sure he was awake, and Harry was leaning over him, mouth close against Draco's ear. I got you a present, he murmured, smiling a kiss at Draco's cheek, his throat, the side of his neck, 
Draco arching like a cat into the touch, heart fluttering. And then Harry opened his palm, and the coin lay there, clean and waiting. Draco sat bolt upright, heart pounding. Harry was passed out next to him, of course, face lax and sleep, one arm flung out over Draco's waist, and there was no coin. Draco rubbed his face with his hands. It had seemed so simple. It had seemed like such an easy idea. Even the pain had been simple at first. Like the last six years, everyone had been trying so hard to be kind to him, and someone had finally told him the truth. But then the righteous end of the pain turned into something more akin to torture, and then that torture turned into just blood, and then the realisation had hit him, terrible and stupid. He was going to die. He had been lying on the floor of the study, gasping and choking, bleeding too much, and he was going to die like this alone in Harry's awful t-shirt because he couldn't stop trying to find the proof that he was wrong, that he was no good. As though, Draco thought now, the proof wasn't simply his history, and the onus not on proving it, but on doing better, bit by grim, bloody bit. Then there had been Harry's face, after all, blazing with magic and fear. Now Harry's face was quiet, younger. I get to have this, Draco thought, firmly. I get to have this now. He swallowed hard. He had woken up before Harry, that time in eighth year, had felt then, as he did now, that same yawning, cavernous feeling when considering Harry, naked with him and under the sheets, as though he'd had a little of something he could never get enough of. It had felt like a terrible mistake, and the only right and true thing he'd ever done, letting Harry's mouth drag over his neck, letting Harry's hands push at him, pull. He'd got out of bed in a panic, and had dressed half-heartedly, confusedly, had glanced at the bed curtains and away, at the curtains and away. He'd walked out of the common room, and down the cool corridor, and had only stopped for breath when he was a few flights down, when he'd run out of steam and fear, and had to stop to steady himself against a wall. His dressing gown was untied, the cuffs of the wine-stained shirt undone. He had a bruise on his wrist. The brick was cool against his back, his hair catching on the roughened surface. He caught his breath and closed his eyes, and wondered what Ron would say. If he'd make fun, be angry. If he'd be against it, the idea of Harry and him. If that was a line he shouldn't have crossed. Friendship, sure, but this? This? It had been late in the day. The train would be leaving soon, in an hour or two. They'd missed breakfast. Draco chewed his lip, and chewed his lip, and then went down another flight of stairs to the kitchens. There, cautious and brightly aware of what he was doing, embarrassed by it already, he had the house elves make up a breakfast tray. He had overseen it all. Harry liked scrambled eggs in the morning, and he didn't like cooked tomatoes, but he loved mushrooms and hot buttered toast and pumpkin juice. Draco had snipped a few flowers off an arrangement in the great hall and put them in a small glass of water. It had taken a while. He brought the tray up by hand, nervous and buoyed, expecting perhaps snarkiness from Harry, perhaps shyness, perhaps a hesitant conversation about the next time they might see each other, outside of school, maybe somewhere for drinks, maybe somewhere private. Draco's stomach had swooped low at the idea and his breath was caught high when he opened the door to the dormitory, a hesitant smile ready. But Harry was gone. All his possessions had been packed away. No trace of him left. Draco yelling at Harry about the letter, and then Harry's incomprehensible fury in return, had been the closest they'd come to speaking of it, to alluding to it. And yet Draco hadn't wanted to mention that day, hadn't wanted to hear confirmed aloud Harry's reasoning. A bit of fun, he'd written, all those years ago. Maybe it was all we were good at together. But then, yesterday, you're perfect, Harry had said. You're mine. And now he lay there, face soft, hair a mess on the pillow. His stubble was a dark shade over his cheeks, his jaw. It had rubbed Draco's skin raw last night, the night before. 
He needed another shave, Draco thought, and climbed out of bed and went downstairs and fussed with the toast and the tea and the butter and the jam. He scrambled the eggs and fried the mushrooms with a growing sense of unease. Draco's hands paused on the tray. He knew Harry would be upstairs when Draco would go back up. He'd left him there only a moment ago, and there was nowhere to go. Where else would he go? There was no train to catch, no walks to be had, no imminent disaster to attend to. Only Draco's return to wait for. Only that. Draco arranged the dishes and the orange juice, then rearranged them, then summoned a lovely stalk of a poppy into a vase, and then spelled it away, and then back once more. Halfway up the stairs he stopped, and considered going back into the kitchen and throwing it all away. And then Pinky's voice came to him, clear as though he'd only heard it yesterday, no nonsense, and amused. I thought you were trying not to be a coward. He went up the stairs, and nudged the door open with his hip. Harry sat up blinking in bed, and reached for his glasses. Did you... Is that breakfast? he asked. I was hungry, said Draco, and it's cold downstairs. Oh, said Harry, watching as Draco set the tray carefully down on the flat of the bed. Then, remember the time Ian Winters pushed you into the lake in eighth year? Hmm, Draco said, and arranged himself next to Harry, his robe, his back against the pillows. Harry was staring at the tray, lost in a thought. Draco said, what about it? Harry didn't answer and took a piece of toast, and chewed on it. He said, Remember when you'd... When you'd played Ron at chess, and I... Harry, Draco said, and put two fingers to Harry's wrist. Harry put down the toast, turned to him on the bed, looking a little scared, and said, Remember when you left the morning after we slept together? Draco's hand jerked. His light touch turned into a hold, his fingers around the bone of Harry's wrist. What? Harry gave a sweet, embarrassed smile. It's not a big deal. I mean, it's it's not like we... I didn't leave, said Draco. His heart was pounding. You left, he said. Harry frowned. I woke up and you were gone, he said. Because I've gone to get you... Draco took a breath, held it. He looked at the tray, the woven rattan handle, the track on the glass where the orange juice had spilled. He finished, haplessly. Because I want to get you breakfast. Harry leant forward. His hand turned in Draco's grip, returning it, his fingers digging into Draco's pulse. He'd held him like that several times now, to feel Draco's heartbeat, to keep him still, to keep him linked. You... what? Draco stared at Harry's hand on his skin. We'd overslept. I went to... It was really fucking decent of me, actually. I've never brought breakfast in bed for anyone else, but I just figured you... I wanted to... to take care of you. It was stupid. Anyway, you were gone when I came back, so I figured you'd got what you needed. I hadn't, said Harry. Then he drew their hands together, interlacing their fingers. I hadn't. Draco felt a little dizzy. So, what, you've just been pining away for me all this time, he asked. He thought of that letter now, the words so awkwardly put together, and Harry's anger when Draco had given those same words back to him. How confused he'd looked, how genuine and embarrassed he'd looked. How tight his grip had been when he told Draco, don't leave. Harry was very quiet. Of all the things to make Draco flush, this seemed to be it. Not Harry's tongue, his fingers crooked inside Draco, the filthy turn his words could take when they were on the brink. No, this. Harry's silence in the face of a stupid joke, the promise of a terrible admittance. No, Harry said, eventually. He was inspecting Draco's knuckles, pushing the pad of his thumb to them. I mean, I wasn't in love with you or anything back then, 
he said, then froze. His thumb stopped in the path it was drawing. Back then, repeated Draco, not sure which way the slip of the tongue went. Ah, shit, I said something I didn't mean. Or, or. But Harry's face made his meaning clear. Very, very slowly, Draco lifted their hands up so that he could kiss Harry's knuckles. I wasn't in love with you or anything back then either, he said. He looked up at Harry, holding Harry's hand still close to his mouth. Harry's throat bobbed, and he swayed slightly in his spot, wavering closer to Draco. He uncurled his hand, touched his fingers to Draco's lips. The room was thick with what lay between them. The eggs will get cold, said Draco, quietly. So they ate. They were quiet still as they brought the dishes down, not looking at each other outwardly, just glances. Just quick, jolted glances. In the kitchen, Harry put the dishes in the sink. Draco watched him, stunned. So, said Harry, drying his hands on the clean tea towel that hung neatly by the sink. Yeah, said Draco, threading his thumbs through the belt loops of Harry's trousers. I haven't been with anyone else since you, blurted Harry. Well, I should hope not, said Draco, after a pause. We did only just sleep together a few hours ago. Harry clenched his jaw. Draco stepped forward put his hands on Harry's hips, backed him against the counter. "'I've been with other people,' he said. "'I'm sorry if that's not romantic. "'It wasn't... <laughs> I wasn't waiting for you,' said Harry. "'I know,' said Draco. "'He pressed his forehead into Harry's. "'Harry's breath huffed against his lips. "'Does it make you jealous? "'Thinking of me with someone else?' "'Yes,' said Harry. "'Draco smiled into the kiss.' They went for a walk that afternoon, to the field with the cows. The snow hadn't stayed overnight, and patches of brown grass were coming through. The cows were steaming into the air, nosing at the patches of earth. On their trek up the hill, their exhales puffed out in clouds, and Harry was out of breath before Draco was, which was altogether embarrassing. Draco paused on the stile, looking ostentatiously concerned. He looked very pretty in the cold. "'Will you be all right, darling?' he asked, casting Harry a backwards glance. Oh, fuck off, said Harry, catching up and shoving at him. Draco laughed and leapt to the other side. I am not scared of cows. Too late, said Draco. He smiled at Harry, almost shyly. I already told everyone. Wouldn't put it past you, to be honest, said Harry. It wasn't out of cruelty, darling. It was to protect you. He said the darling as if it were a joke, but Harry could tell it wasn't. <laughs> a likely story, said Harry, shoving his hands into the pockets of his jacket. The cows looked unhelpfully hostile. Harry tried to keep his distance without being obvious about it. "'You know,' said Draco, in that conversational tone he used when he was going to say something awful, "'I am sorry. About Rita Skeeter, I mean. That is, not just about Rita Skeeter, but Draco.' Harry stopped walking to glare at him. Draco stopped too, eyes downcast. "'Come on. You don't have to... You know you don't have to apologise to me for... for every single...' Draco looked up then. "'Yeah,' he said. I know. There was an awkward pause. Can I kiss you? said Harry, a little grouchily. Draco grinned. Yeah, he said. He smiled through the kiss, then broke away to nuzzle into Harry's ear. Any time, he said. They didn't talk about it, really. They bought a bed for Draco's room, but they called it the guest bedroom now, and Draco continued sleeping in Harry's bed. Their bed. Draco made it up in the mornings very neatly, had the cover pressed, lovely and clean, and the duvet folded down, and in the evenings would be the first to get in, the first to mess up the arrangement too, 
Pillows pushed to the floor, hands twisted into the sheets, pulling them from their corners until it was just a bare mattress and a puddle of fabric with the two of them in the middle. Then Draco was to go back to London for a day. Just a day, he said. To go over the case, and to show his face and to make arrangements, and to start talks of returning. Harry didn't like the idea, and the night before had been purposefully distant and withdrawn in bed, lying next to Draco with his back turned, and like that they had a halted conversation until Draco had snapped and said, "'For God's sake, Harry, will you stop being so polite?' What aren't you saying? And look at me! And Harry turned to lie on his back and gave the ceiling a miserable frown, which he then covered with the crook of his arm, and didn't look at Draco at all when he said, I just don't think... You're not... Do you really already want to go back to... I'm doing better, Harry. I can stand to go in for... Now? You're doing better now, here, which says nothing about how you'll do there, then. Maybe you go and and then you you don't feel well and... Are we talking about me? Draco said, a little too sharply. Or you? Bugger off, Harry said, and tried to get out of bed. And Draco pulled him back down with a huff and a tired laugh, and Harry didn't put much effort into pulling away. He sat on the bed's end, and Draco wrapped himself around Harry's back and said, You know London, as a city, is a much lesser unit of evil than the units of evil you usually fight. Harry grumbled, and Draco kissed his neck, and Harry said, Just one day? And Draco said, Just the one and Harry stroked his ankle, and then his shin, and then the tender inside of his thigh. Higher. He twisted in Draco's hold and kissed him with dry, clinging lips. It ended up being two days, which Draco explained looking tired and tetchy, calling home from Hermione's flu, kneeling by the fire, saying, Well, I didn't know either that, look, Harry, the paperwork is a nightmare, and Hermione's been waiting through all of that on her own, and frankly, I'd be a right arsehole if I just left her with all the, Fine, sure, you're a fucking saint, Harry had snapped, in his chair in the study. Draco had bled right there, had almost died right there. In the fire, Draco's face went very still, his breath held. I... Harry rolled his eyes, annoyed with himself. I didn't mean it like... I'll see you tomorrow, Draco said, short, voice lower than before. His eyes were elsewhere now, distant. Good night. Draco, come on, don't... Good night, Draco said, and the flu connection blinked out of existence. Harry didn't sleep that night, huffing in bed, not used to sleeping on his own anymore. He swung between irritation at how sensitive Draco could be, and guilt over how callous he himself could be, and when it was morning again he apparated to the next town over, and spent half a day at a department store, anger-buying things at random. A human-sized chess game, two airbed pumps, a giant beach ball, Christmas-themed house slippers, purple hair dye, a shiny watch on sale. Back at home he dumped everything on the living room floor, where it took up so much room, and would not fit anywhere, and so he had a little panic. That's how Draco found him that evening pressed into the corner of the couch, his feet up in the cushions, staring at the mess, chewing on his nail beds. Oh, wow, Draco said, on a surprised breath of a laugh, stepping out of the fireplace. He had to take a stumbling step back. The box of the giant beach ball was in his way. He walked around it. Hello, Harry said. So I'm probably insane. Draco laughed. It wasn't a mean laugh. He waded through the things, long legs lifting over this and that, and said, amused, Is this my punishment for staying a day longer? No, Harry said, still chewing on his thumb, a little muffled. Then, maybe, I don't know. Oh, darling, Draco said, and reached him, and took his thumb away to kiss him, still smiling, teeth knocking, a pressing of lips. Hello, have you had a day? I didn't mean to, Harry said, shuddering into relief, Draco's hands, his mouth, the smell of him. I didn't mean to, he said, to Draco's chin. We'll return everything tomorrow, Draco said, and tugged him out of the couch, 
and took him to the kitchen, where he made dinner and had Harry explain his intentions for each and every purchase. Harry had his face on the table, miserable, saying, I don't know, for a beach day? I don't know. And Draco laughed at him, and also looked at him with his eyes all focused and soft and intent, and Harry met his gaze, letting it work like a balm, letting the promise of it simmer. When they went up to bed, Draco stopped halfway up the stairs as though he had to go back down, and said, cheeky as anything, wait, bring up one of those giant chess pieces, I want to try something, and Harry pulled him back, made as if to tackle him. They had a short and gentle wrestle, all pretend, and Harry ended up thumping Draco softly against the wall, Draco's arms going over his head automatically. Harry slowly reached up, held his wrists, then slid his hands to Draco's palms. Draco laced their fingers. He was smiling, quiet and calm. Harry kissed his jaw, his stomach a jumble. Miss me? Draco asked, his eyes in humour, but there was something true and tight to his voice. Desperately, Harry whispered, his nose to Draco's cheek. He didn't bother pretending he didn't mean it. He did. Draco swallowed. Harry carried him to bed. And so it went. They brought back all the dumb things Harry had bought, and once there, Draco got very distracted by the shiny bikes in the bike aisle, and despite what Draco said was both of their better judgments, Harry bought him one. Then Draco taught Harry how to ride a bike, then taught him how to put away the things he used, taught him how to redirect himself when he felt out of control and wanted to buy, say, a set of 41 mugs, each one painted with a different English monarch. Redirect, they called it. It was just Harry running a few laps around the house, biking harshly up and down the hill, scrubbing the grime from under the bathtub, letting Draco hold his face very tightly in his hands and whisper Quidditch statistics at him. They went on long excursions in the afternoons when it wasn't raining or snowing too hard. Draco dragged him to Elsie's house. Elsie watched them tensely for the first ten minutes, then seemed to relax at the easy way Draco touched Harry, at the way Draco looked at him, full of fond exasperation. When Draco went to say hello to the horse, Elsie caught Harry by the arm. "'I hope I didn't complicate things with my mistake the other day,' she said. Harry smiled. "'No,' he said. "'I think you made everything a lot simpler, actually.' Simpler. That was what it was. All of it. It was simple to find clean plates at dinner time. Simple to set the table and light the candles. Simple to praise Draco's cooking and watch him preen. Simple to go to bed together. And then, in bed, to go from very gentle to a little rough and keep hand to the soft skin of the back of Draco's neck and hold him down to watch Draco's eyes glaze over, watch his mouth go slack and wet, watch himself fuck Draco, a mad, heady thing that never got old, never simmered to anything quieter than a wildfire. And then Draco would always turn so very tactile after, so very sweet, would pick a small square of Harry's body and get very close and whisper his adoration. This ear, this darling ear, my favourite in the world. God, such a lovely ear. So good. You're so good. God, you're so... And his hands would be restless over Harry's sweaty chest, his legs, his spent cock, his face, and all Harry could do was breathe through it, let his heart swell and roll and close his eyes for fear that they might reveal something stupid. There were only a few boxes left. In one of them, Draco found a photo album of the Order of the Phoenix. He showed Harry a picture of Pinky's son. Draco sounded perfectly all right as he spoke. Then he went into the study and didn't come out for an hour. Harry went in with a cup of tea and knocked on the door. Hmm, said Draco, through the door. I brought you tea, said Harry. Oh, tea, said Draco, opening the door. His eyes were red. The key to my heart, thank you. There's a Quidditch match on the radio, said Harry. Draco took the tea, wrapping his hands around the warmth. I know it's stupid, he said, looking into his mug. Quidditch? Being so broken up when he wasn't even... I wanted him to be family so badly, but he wasn't, and... 
I know it's disrespectful to you to be so upset. Harry stared at him incredulously. What? Are you serious? Draco seemed to realise he had instigated a conversation. Quidditch, what teams? he asked. Cannons versus tornadoes, said Harry. All right, said Draco. Let's listen in the sitting room. They curled up together on the sofa. Harry wrapped around Draco, stroking his wool-clad arms. I didn't know Sirius that well, said Harry quietly, as the announcer's voice droned out of the radio. It wasn't really about that. It was about the future I lost when he died. Pinky was ancient, said Draco. Eighty, right? You probably thought you had another fifty years with him, said Harry. Draco nodded. I also just... I think I thought he could, like, re-raise me, the way my parents should have. I know that's not the way to look at it. I'm responsible for myself. Plenty of people have been raised badly and turned out okay. But... Like you, said Harry. Hmm? You were raised badly and turned out okay, said Harry. Draco looked at him, wide-eyed. Then he laughed. You must find me really attractive, he said, to be so blind. Harry left it, because it didn't seem like the sort of thing that could be rushed. But Draco's silence was sweet and abashed, and his hand didn't still on Harry's leg for the rest of the match. Up and down, up and down. Later that night, Draco dragged a chair into the bathroom and made him sit down, lathered his face for him, tilted it this way, that, ran the knife very gently over his skin, dragging with a rasp. He'd shake the blade in the full sink, and the water slowly went murky. Draco's hold didn't waver. He lifted Harry's chin up to him, and ran a clean line down his throat, over his Adam's apple. When he cleaned the blade again, Harry swallowed, and could still feel the pressure of the metal, the glint of Draco's eyes as he glanced at him. Eyes lowered, cheeks flushed. Harry waited until Draco was out riding Blotchy to flee Ron. It was a bitterly icy day towards the end of December, and Draco wouldn't be likely to stay away long, was very likely to come back in a huff, fingers frozen, yelling for a hot drink, for a bath, a better heating spell. Ron appeared instantly. Draco, are you... Oh, Harry? Yeah, it's me, said Harry. Sorry to disappoint. Don't be daft. Everything okay? Did something happen? Harry leant forward on his knees. Yeah, sort of, he said. We're in love, I think. Hermione, cried Ron, not taking his eyes off Harry. Hermione, it happened! Hermione appeared a moment later. What? What? Harry, is everything all right? She asked. Yeah, we're fine, said Harry. They're in love, said Ron. I think, said Harry. Pretty sure. That's the... the... the vibe. Oh, said Hermione. There was a flurry of movement at the fireplace when Hermione tried to get Ron to move aside and Ron wouldn't, head half in the fire. She said, I'm so glad, Harry. Really, I am. You happy? asked Ron, leaning in further. What's he like in bed? Ron, said Hermione. What? Come on. You've never wondered, asked Ron. You know, if Harry and I both died, I think it would take you and Draco about ten minutes to sleep together, said Hermione. I hate this, said Harry. I hate everything about this. I bet he's great in bed, said Ron, looking wistful. We are never talking about this again, said Harry. No, listen, I wanted to ask you about the burrow. What about it? Would Molly mind Draco coming over? Ron frowned. No, why would she? It's just, what with Christmas coming up, said Harry. I was thinking I could bring him. Otherwise I reckon I'll stay here, I don't want him to be alone. Oh, said Ron. Yeah, no, bring him. I always just assumed he wouldn't... Even through the flames, Harry could tell he was blushing. Next to him, Hermione seemed to be chewing on the inside of her cheek. You know, he's just... He's used to the manor. I thought he wouldn't, um, think much of the burrow. Harry was filled with a rushing relief that he had waited until Draco was out to have this conversation. 
He could only imagine how horrified Draco would be to discover that Ron still thought... Ron, he's... he's changed, you know, said Harry. I know, said Ron, defensively, at first, as if to say, I've been telling you. But then again, softer. No, I I know. There was a long silence in which Hermione rubbed Ron's back. Just, you know, some of that shit he said in school, it... Yeah, said Harry. Ron frowned at the embers. I know he would like the burrow, he said, as if he were admitting it to himself for the first time. Has he ever mentioned... He thinks you haven't invited him because of Molly, said Harry. Well, because of Fred. Ron looked horrified. Shit, he said. Oh, fuck, that's bad. He's okay with it, said Harry. Draco's never okay with it, said Ron. Tell him to come over on Sunday. And when Harry did tell him, Draco all fresh and frozen from his ride, ears and fingers and lips pinched red, Draco went and got flustered and stuck in a bit of a loop for a while, washing the blood back into his hands under the hot water in the kitchen, his jacket half undone, his scarf still around his neck. He said, Are you sure that's what he... Because why would they... And I mean, what would I even... And what did you tell them? God, I can't just go because you begged or something. And where? What would I even wear? I mean, what... Harry stopped him with a very sharp Draco. And Draco snapped towards him like he'd forgotten Harry was there, in the kitchen with him, in a chair, turned from the table to watch him. Draco swallowed, flushed, drying his hands. Harry opened his legs a little, hands on his knees. Come here, he said, and Draco put the towel on the counter and came, a little unsteady, still out of breath. Harry said, here, and gestured, and Draco straddled his legs, settled down. Harry took off his coat, unwound his scarf, untucked Draco's shirt, unbuttoned a few buttons from the bottom up, spread his hands over Draco's abdomen and felt the skin bunch in goosebumps, felt the slight shiver. Would you like to go? Harry asked, voice low. Draco leaned into the touch. He nodded. Harry said, I want you there with me. Draco nodded again. Harry said, kiss me. And Draco did, hungrily. On your knees, Harry panted into his mouth, and Draco went and spread Harry's knees wide with his hands and palmed him through his jeans, and Harry's head fell back. He fisted Draco's hair, moaned. Fuck, he said, only moments later, Draco's mouth hot and incessant over him. Fuck, I love this. Draco whined around him, his fingers digging harshly over Harry's thighs. The radio was on as always, and the one Christmas tune followed the other, and Draco's hair was very soft when he pulled at it, and the move of the muscles of his shoulder, a fascinating play, a ripple and a ripple under the folds of his shirt. Draco went upstairs three times to change jumpers. You look fine, said Harry. Draco caught sight of himself in the hall mirror and groaned. Elbow patches! I forgot this one has elbow patches! He ran back up the stairs. What's wrong with elbow patches? Harry called after him. I'm trying to make them think I'm not a wanker, Draco called back. It was all a waste of time in the end, because he was sweating so much by the time they got to the burrow that he had to take his jumper off. He'd seen pictures before of the house and had heard many stories, and it looked almost exactly as he'd imagined it, only messier, only smaller. Every corner was cramped and doing something, and yet another new piece of Harry clicked into place. The Christmas tree was huge and bent a little to the right. There were no overhead lights, only little orbs and bulbs and candles floating all around. They had the same station on as Harry and him in the kitchen, Christmas songs jangled and muted in the background. It was wonderful seeing Ron and Hermione and Ginny, Ron, in particular, was assiduous in showing him every inch of the burrow and conducting Draco through the first wobbly, cordial conversations with Molly and Arthur. 
Harry left him alone for the first part of the evening, for which Draco was grateful. He needed time alone with Hermione to catch her up on all their days of nothing much. The bikes, the beach ball, the house, Harry. Harry, he found himself half-whispering the name, unable to keep from blushing as he did. But after they'd eaten, and everyone sat around the table, stuffed and full and familiar, Harry started clearing plates with a meaningful look at Draco. Alone in the kitchen, Harry just about attacked him. I am not having sex with you in Molly Weasley's nice clean kitchen, Draco told him, through kisses. Fine, be that way, said Harry. Draco laughed at him and went back into the dining room, where Ginny gave him an unsettlingly knowing look. But clearly he had passed the test, although he didn't know what it was, because Molly told him as he left that he must come again for Sunday dinner, and that he was welcome any time. Harry told him he loved him on Christmas Day. Him. Not this. Not when you do that. Not wasn't in love with you back then. Just him loved him. Neither of them had bought gifts. Draco, because he didn't think it was a good idea for Harry to start acquiring things just yet, and Harry, presumably, because Draco had thrown out all of his catalogues, thus rendering him entirely powerless in the capitalist sphere. You could have gone into the village and bought me something there, said Draco, as they drank their morning tea by the fire. Draco in the armchair, Harry on the rug by his feet. His head leaned against Draco's knee. Draco had a hand in Harry's hair, stroking it. There is nothing I could have bought you in the village that you would not have mocked, said Harry. That's true, but I would have mocked anything you gave me no matter where you got it, said Draco. Wait, does that discourage you from buying me things? I take it back. You're disgustingly mercenary, Harry said, and pushed his face to Draco's leg. He nipped at him through the cloth there, lightly, and Draco hissed, answered with a soft pull on his hair. Harry nuzzled and added softly, I don't know why I love you. Then looked up fierce, as if waiting for Draco to argue with him. Draco's heart skipped a few confused beats. He thought he knew, sort of knew, where they were, what they were doing, and still the words thrilled, electrical, down his spine. They looked at each other for a long time, Harry's eyes softening at whatever he saw in Draco's expression, and then Draco lifted his leg and prodded Harry in the stomach with his toe. "'It's because I'm exceptional in bed,' he said. "Mm," Harry said, and caught his foot with a sure hand, a harsh thumb to the soft underside. "'You are,' he said and shifted to settle between Draco's legs, jostling him down the chair with a tug to his hips. His eyes were very green, and his glasses a little askew, and he needed yet another shave. Draco kept telling him, and his mouth was wide and open with a smile, and, it would seem, he loved Draco. Merlin, Draco whispered, awed. He hadn't meant to, out loud. He put his hand to Harry's cheek, and Harry turned to it immediately, kissed the pad of his thumb, nipped at the skin between his fingers. He loves me. Draco thought, bewildered, and Harry nosed his way up Draco's forearm, coming closer, closer still. They spent New Year's Eve at the burrow. Draco kissed Ron at midnight, a tight-lipped and chaste thing. Harry pretended to be outraged, but really he was just happy that Draco was finally starting to be himself when he visited the burrow. Quite drunk at around half two in the morning, Draco's mouth was messy down Harry's jaw, his hand down the front of his trousers, cramped and hidden in one of the upstairs loos. I love you, Draco slurred, barely intelligible. He kissed the spot behind Harry's ear, an untidy gesture. The movements of his hand, however, were unrelenting. Mm, was all Harry could say to that, and they knocked into the shelf and the bowl of potpourri fell to the ground. Draco laughed breathily and sped up. Happy New Year, he said, and Harry made a very twisted sound and said, Oh God, and came all over Draco's hot, gorgeous hand. The next morning, Draco was catastrophically hungover, Eggs? offered Harry. Draco groaned. 
Never drinking again, he said. But then who will dance on the kitchen counter at 4am, singing Celestina Warbeck with Molly Weasley? asked Harry, who had alternated beer with water all night long, and felt pretty great, actually. Run me a bath, said Draco, managing to sound imperious despite still wearing Ginny's spangly dress. They had swapped clothes at some point in the evening. Harry washed Draco's hair for him in the bath, telling him all the things that had happened after Draco's memory had blacked out. Do you remember kissing Ron? he asked. Draco jerked away from Harry's ministering hands. I did what? Were you really that wasted by midnight? I'm never drinking again, said Draco, dourly sinking back beneath the water. When he came back up, Harry asked, quiet and amused, hooking his chin over Draco's shoulder. How about when we snuck upstairs? <laughs> Draco said, inspecting the wrinkles of his fingers. Do you remember that? asked Harry. Draco let his hands fall into the water, let his head fall back onto Harry's shoulder. Yes, he said, eyes closed. Do you remember what you... Yes, Draco said, voice deep at this angle. Good, Harry said, and held him close. Good. Would you come with me to Pinky's? Draco asked, the next day, still a little delicate from New Year's, but steady in that determined way that people maintain for much of early January. Like, to live? asked Harry. Draco went pink. No, just to... I mean, I can move out if... Draco lapsed like that every now and then. A tumble of uncertain words, as if they were still strangers, as if he'd forgotten that Harry would likely fall apart in his absence. Forgot the heat of their bed, or the quiet of their mornings, or Harry's absolute inability to be around him and not touch him, somehow. Touch somehow. They were in the study. It was still the nicest room in the house. No, said Harry. Stay. You promised, anyway. When? asked Draco, frowning. Oh, I remember. When you ravished me against the bedroom wall. Harry felt his face grow horribly hot. I did not ravish you. I don't know, it felt pretty ravishy to me, said Draco. I... Draco narrowed his eyes and leant back into the window seat. So you won't come with me to Pinky's, he said. No, I'll go. A lesser unit of evil than the usual units of evil you fight, Draco had said of London. Harry looked at him, clear-eyed. Is there something you have to do there? Draco shrugged and picked at the cushion lining. Just look around, he said. They took the train. Neither of them said so, but Harry was pretty sure it was because it felt symbolic, somehow, to get on the train together. Draco was quiet and tense, and Harry read him facts from his bare survival guide, third edition. Why did they have to make a third edition? asked Draco. Did the first two editions get people eaten by bears? The landscape blurred by brown and green, patches of melting snow blinking by in shocking white. Pinky's shop was still safely locked up. Draco opened it with a few careful spells, then led Harry inside. He stopped at the entrance, turned on the light. Rows and rows of pots. Draco took in a sharp breath. He was quiet for a while. Then, it smells like him, he said. He sounded fond, but there was a tremble to the words. Harry took his hand. Show me around, he said. They ordered in pizza and ate in the over-tidy sitting room. I keep expecting him to walk in, said Draco. He put down his slice of pizza. I thought losing father would make me better at grief. Each death is different, said Harry, so nothing ever prepares you. Draco grimaced. Sorry, said Harry, that was a bit much. A bit, said Draco. He sighed and looked around. It's nice to be back, though, he glanced at Harry. It's nice to be able to show you where he lived, his things. They had spent almost an hour looking at all the pots, Draco explaining what kind of glaze Pinky had favoured which colour paints had lead in them and couldn't be used inside bowls, 
which pots had been the hardest to make, which the easiest. I wish I could have met him. I mean, I know I could have met him. I wish, said Harry, and Draco conscientiously wiped the grease from his fingertips before putting them on Harry's face, before leaning in slowly to kiss him. Then he laughed. So weird to kiss you here, he said. Pinky would have come in at just the wrong moment and said, thanks for the free show. He sounds terrifying, said Harry. Draco leant his forehead into Harry's shoulder. He was, yeah, he said. Harry ran his hand through Draco's hair, and Draco made a soft, grateful noise. I love you, said Harry. He could hear Draco smile. Then, did you wipe your hand before touching my hair? Because I washed it this morning. Oh, said Harry. Uh, yes? Draco laughed into Harry's shoulder, broke away, and kissed him. I love you too, he said. And there it was. Not abashed, or wrapped up in a joke, or drunk, or in the heat of the moment. Just the words, the way people might exchange them when the sentiment was a simple one, an easily felt truth. The last room Draco showed Harry was the studio, where Pinky used to make the pots. Draco was very enthusiastic about the pottery wheel, and insisted on showing Harry how to use it, making him sit down with a lump of clay. With your touch, not with pressure, he shouted, when Harry tried to make his clay into something remotely resembling a pot. What the fuck does that mean? Harry shouted back. They both ended up covered in clay. Draco looked wistfully at the pottery wheel as they stood by the door ready to go. He had a duffel bag slung over his shoulder with some more clothes. We could bring it with us, suggested Harry. What, the wheel? Yeah, said Harry. Why not? There's room. Draco raised his eyebrows. This sort of thinking is what caused Hordersgate in the first place, he said. I have not okayed Hordersgate as a name, said Harry. Draco looked back at the wheel. I don't know, he said. Wouldn't it be wrong to take it out of Pinky's studio? We can bring it back, said Harry. Wouldn't you like to have it? Draco made a small sound, like a laugh almost. Do I just get to have the things I like now? Harry reached forward and tucked a strand of Draco's hair behind his ear. Draco leaned into his hand. Yeah, I think so, said Harry. Spring came to the cottage with an abundance of weeds. Harry spent hours every day in the garden, trying to tame it. It felt good, and by April he had made one corner of the garden quite idyllic, the corner with the bench and the willow, the green willow. Draco clearly found it difficult not to be patronisingly proud of Harry's work in the garden. Harry didn't even bother trying to conceal how patronisingly proud he was of Draco's ugly little pots that he made in the shed. Look at it, cried Harry, holding up Draco's latest monstrosity. It's gorgeous! It's a blight on the face of pottery, Harry. You should know that. You're a potter. It's perfect, said Harry. I love it. Let's hang it right here on the fridge. Oh, leave me alone, said Draco. Harry bought a garden table from a catalogue. It was a wooden table with slats, and he ran it by Draco before he bought it. Yes, this seems like a reasonable purchase, Draco had said when Harry showed him the catalogue. Although, why are you still getting catalogues? In case I, said Harry blankly, need something? But he didn't. He only bought the table because he wanted it, because he thought Draco might like to have tea in the garden when it got hotter, because it was big enough that they could have over Ron and Hermione and Ginny and sit around it with glasses of wine in the summer. So he bought the table and stopped getting the catalogues. Sometimes Harry looked at Draco reading in the windowsill of the study and thought, this is what I thought I was buying when I bought the house. They had afternoon tea outside, the first day the table arrived. Elsie had made too many scones and given them some, and Draco was having a fight with a wasp. I'll fuck you up, he shouted. You're truly bucolic, said Harry, slouching lazily against the arm of the bench. Just a little longer. Words carved into the wood. Listen, I didn't start this, said Draco. Stupefy. 
You can't stupefy a wasp, said Harry. Fucking watch me, said Draco, and his next stupefy caught the wasp squarely in the face. The hapless creature tumbled out of the air to land next to the jam. Draco flicked it away with a look of barely repressed triumph. He turned to Harry. Goodness always prevails. Maybe that was a good wasp, said Harry. If you like the wasp so much, why don't you marry it, said Draco. Is that what you do to things you like a lot, asked Harry mildly, and Draco flushed. A breeze pushed across the garden. The drooping stalks of the willow, spotting little dots of bright green, swayed softly. Now that it was warmer, Harry had tried his hand at getting the grass into an even lawn, but the birds would feast on the seeds whenever he sowed them, and the green came up patchy and uneven. Are you going to eat that? Draco asked, gesturing at Harry's scone. Yes, said Harry. Hmm, said Draco, eyeing it beadily. He had eaten his own scone long ago. He turned on the bench to lean into Harry's chest. The sun dappled patterns on them through the draping of the branches. Draco, said Harry. That is my name, said Draco. Will you move in with me? Draco laughed. I already have, he said. Harry smiled and kissed the side of Draco's head. Yeah, I thought so, he said. They stayed like that, still and quiet in the shaded sunshine, ready to go in but too lazy to move. On the table, the wasp came out of its stupor, shook out its wings, rotated its antennae, took a movement, then flew off, a little wobbly, a little uneven. They could go in now. They could go inside. But Draco's breathing was even on his neck, and Harry found that not a single atom in him was called to leave, and so they stayed like that, in the quiet, just a little longer. That was The Bolt Hole, written by ADMI, Tepra, and Gala Placidia, and read by Gala Placidia. This week, there's also a bonus episode about how Tepra, ADMI, and I came to write the fic, so listen to that if you want to find out who wrote the sex scenes, because it wasn't me. There won't be an episode next week because the next fic I'm reading is part of Hurtfest and will remain anonymous until October 15th, when the first episode of that story will be released. If you enjoyed The Bolt Hole, leave a rating and review on the Apple Podcast app, and why not share it with a friend who you think will like the show? For more stories by me, head to AO3. I also have an Instagram, at LetTheMeetBooks, with underscores instead of spaces, where I post reviews of the books I read, so please say hello on there. Thank you for listening.